Thank you very much. Well, it's a real joy to be with you here in Windsor uh, this evening. And uh, Gordon was my old boss. I'm technically Andrews, but you know what? We're brothers in Christ first and foremost, and I think that's the joy of our relationship with him as we serve him uh, together. Um, we as a mission are celebrating 90 years, you see in the banner to your left, uh, 90 years of God's faithfulness to us in the land of Peru. Um, and so this year is a very special year in the life of Baptist missions. But I've come this evening to thank you primarily as a church here in Windsor for your partnership in the gospel. That was our theme, if you like, as a mission last year, thanking God and thanking our association of churches for their partnership in the gospel. I want to thank you this evening as a church for your partnership in the gospel with us. Um, Gordon told me on Thursday that there's three words that are key words in Windsor uh, at this time, and I'm hoping I'm not being irreverent by saying, I thank God this evening for your partnership, for your presence as a church in Spain, because you have sent Andrew and Ruth uh, to serve God's purpose as a mission in Spain. So in a sense, I know you're speaking of the presence of God, so I hope I'm not being irreverent, Gordon, but you have a presence as a church in Spain because you've sent Andrew and Ruth and you support and care for them as a church in Spain. Thank you for your presence there too in the summertime in sending a team to go and work alongside them in reaching out to people primarily from non-Christian backgrounds, um, many of whom coming from a, a different religious background uh, to most people in Spain, and God using that team to be a real encouragement and help and support to Andrew and Ruth. Thank you for your presence in Spain when you send people like Evelyn Greer to go and spend time with Andrew and Ruth, and I suspect primarily Ruth. That helps decrease Ruth's sense of loneliness, Ruth's sense of isolation, Ruth's sense at times of, apart from Andrew, having maybe nobody else, her own age and gender, whom she can speak to and share deeply with in her life. So thank you as a church for your presence in Spain. Thank you also for your passion as a church for mission and your passion to pray and your passion to care through Gordon, Evelyn and others and the mission team here. But also in the last six months or so, we've received care as a mission through some of the medics in this fellowship who've given us great support and help and advice as one of our missionaries, Christine Morrow in Peru, has faced very real and serious medical difficulties. Just a brief update on that. Sadly, Christine seems to have gone relapsed again, and so your prayers for her at this time would be particularly appreciated. So thank you for your presence in Spain. Thank you for your passion, for praying, for your care, and thank you most of all this evening for your provision. And that's not just financial but as a church, you are very generous in your support for Baptist missions, for our association of churches, the college, Baptist women, Baptist youth, and all that we seek to do together. Thank you for those who've helped in providing a new vehicle for, not a brand new, can I clarify that, but a new, replacing their old car uh, just in the last few days. Thank you for those who gave in order to make that possible. And you know, sometimes when I sign letters in my office desk, as I'm sure Gordon found this as well, sometimes it can be very humbling. And in the past few weeks, I've signed letters of thanks for people who sent in gifts in lieu of flowers for James Greenwood's funeral. And letters like that humble you. 
but even in death. James, who was a very faithful and loving supporter of all that we do together as an association of churches, even in death, his memory lives on, his, if you like, those gifts being used to further the cause of mission uh, across our world. So thank you in Jesus' name for your partnership, your presence, your passion, and your provision. And may God bless you as a church in the days that lie ahead. Mervyn, after four Ps, where do I go from there? <laughs> it's lovely to be back again. Uh, thank you for the chance to share with you this evening. Uh, some of you who are regular attenders here will have spotted that it wasn't very long ago that we were actually all here as a family on Christmas Day. Unusually for us, uh, this year we popped back. Uh, and popped back to Spain just to show my face. So I do think I do some work uh, when uh, I'm around. And uh, then back over for a fortnight to visit the churches. Uh, here in, in Northern Ireland and indeed uh, across the border. So in the time uh, this evening, I'm going to give you a bit of an update. Some of you are very well up to speed with what we're doing. Some of you don't know me from Adam, so my accent is due to my strange childhood and going to an international school, for those of you who are just trying to unravel that. Um, <clears> Through the rest of the family, hopefully we should be able to hear their voices very briefly for a few seconds. So I'll just let them... Um, hi, I'm Anna, I'm 15, I've got two and a half years of school left, and I like um, animals. Hello, I'm Britain, I'm 12 years old, I have a twin brother, and I, I like playing with it, and when I'm an adult, I want to be a writer. Uh, hi, I'm Massey, I'm saying the age is Ruben, 12, <laughs> and uh, I like playing basketball. Hello, I'm Ruth. And I just want to thank you all for being interested in us and being prepared for us and supporting us in lots of different ways. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, Ruth was just sending me a WhatsApp just before the service uh, began, so she's missing you and uh, wishing she was here too. But evidently our circumstances are such that it's just me, so I'm afraid I'm speaking for, for the whole family. I'm going to give you an update then on uh, recent developments with us before grounding that very briefly in a passage from God's Word. As you know, we work in partnership with a federation of churches, and there you see Mervyn uh, last March out in Spain on the platform with Francisco Portillo, the secretary of our group of churches. Those of you who have been worshipping here in Windsor for hmm, how many years is it, Gordon, since Francisco actually was here in this pulpit and uh, spoke in the church here, uh, you will not know most of you that he was diagnosed with cancer last summer, uh, stomach cancer, and has been treated since then, and it's going very well. But uh, if you were here and you remember him, you might uh, remember him as well in your own uh, prayers. It's been a very happy partnership working as a mission with this group of churches, and I think that is shown just even in the smiles and laughter on the, the platform last March. Well, if you were in the missions rally last May, you'll have seen this man too, uh, Pedro Arbelat, here. So there is evidence of two-way partnership. Uh, you sent us to Spain. There is a Spaniard that came back to visit here. And um, there is a real sense of it being a two-way uh, partnership that hopefully is seeking to build God's kingdom in uh, working together. We are now located uh, since 2012 near the city of Barcelona in a town called La Mella. 
little bit difficult to pronounce, but um, La Media del Valles. And the reason we moved there after having been involved in pastoral ministry in the South was to begin working with the Evangelical School of Theology. If you ask me what, what's the news in Spain, well, we don't have a cash for ash um, crisis going on. While making the headlines in Spain, still the economy, um, very slow, gradual improvement, but we're still running at 44% youth unemployment, the second worst in Europe after Greece. Um, and that banner being held by those uh, students and young people says, youth without a future. Uh, we have massive outward emigration at the moment. We're losing all our best young people from the country, from our universities, and from our churches. And there is a wide sense of anger in the country about what this means for the future. Uh, there is a lot of unrest, <clears throat> a lot of dissatisfaction with politics and with any authorities and institutions. Uh, you'll know that for nine months we had no government. Now we have a government, a minority government, that is uh, in power in a sort of way, watching how its uh, laws are one by one picked off by the opposition. It's the strangest of situations, the government in power and uh, measures being enacted against its will. Uh, it, it gives a whole sense of impotence and futility and irrelevance, never mind all the corruption that seems to be in the news every week. Um, you know, because we've told you other years, about the ongoing uh, drive towards trying to force independence uh, from the rest of Spain um, for Catalonia. Um, there's separate language, separate culture, and that is replicated in the Basque country too. And it's still an open question whether Spain's borders will look the same in a few years' time. The, the temperature in this has lulled a little bit, if I can mix my metaphors, but we expect it to come back next year as the regional government drives towards trying to achieve a unilateral declaration of independence. So expect Spain to be in the news um, about a year from now. But there are other headlines as well. This comes from a, a European website called Evangelical Focus, which carries stories from around uh, Europe. If you can just make out that little red box, the date of this is the 10th of January, so it's hot off the press, metaphorically speaking. And there's a, a more positive headline, isn't it? 12 evangelical churches open every month. Um, I find it difficult to tie together all these statistics. Um, there are now 4,000 places of evangelical worship registered with the government, and that is almost double the number that were registered um, just in 2006, in 10 years. I find that difficult to tie all together. Uh, the 12 churches opening every month mustn't include or have subtracted from that number those that are closing. There's a, a sense of ferment, groups appearing, sometimes not lasting very long, uh, most evangelical churches in Spain are not affiliated to any denomination. Uh, so it's so hard to get a, a handle on what is really going on. But there's something new happening. This wasn't happening a few years ago. Uh, there's still the decline in religious affiliation. So there you get the statistics. As of the end of 2016, 69% of Spaniards now call themselves Catholic, and that is a steady decline, as you can see, a percentage point a year, but mass attendance would be in the region of 15%. Maybe more significant, that last statistic, uh, if you look at marriages, 1992, 79% of marriages were church ones, and by 2015 it was 29%, but of course most people don't get married. 
So Spain is very rapidly becoming a post-Christian country. And the growth in terms of the number of evangelical churches and places of worship masks the unevenness with which churches are being planted and growing. Churches are being planted and are growing in traditional areas of the country. And people changing from one religious alliance, uh, affiliation to being open to another. But they're not growing, or very little growth is being seen in the most highly secularized parts of the country, which include where we are. Um, we're still, uh, at the most optimistic reading, uh, not more than 1% of the population connected in any way to an evangelical church. The town where we're living, uh, there's five roads you could take out of the town, and you could take any one of those five roads, and the next town, there's no church, and the second town, there's no church, and probably the third or fourth. Only in one case, one of the roads, the dual carriageway, will take you, the third town is where we go to church. And that is replicated across Spain still. There's still at least 600 towns with no evangelical church. So it's a mixed situation and hard to summarize in just a bullet point. We moved to La Mella uh, because it's the headquarters of the distance learning school that I work with, but also we chose to, to live in that town because there is no church. Even though there have been evangelical believers, uh, one family or two, living in the town for at least 40 years now. Let me talk, first of all, about what Ruth does and what she seeks to uh, pray for and uh, seeks to channel her time into. Just like you do here, she seeks to live out the gospel in her relationships with other people, and uh, she makes friends through school, through uh, meeting parents and uh, mothers of other children at school. Uh, the woman's next to her, the second in from, the, from your right, is Heike. She's German, married to a uh, Spaniard. They have become good friends, and Modesta is second in from the left in wearing the green jacket. And she and her husband, again, have become good friends. And we uh, pray for them. Uh, we enjoy their company. Uh, we think they enjoy ours too. But we long for them to come to know uh, the Lord Jesus for themselves. Ruth teaches English as well. We, we prioritize that because it's also a way in which she meets new people. And some of them will be uh, wanting to exchange Catalan conversation for English conversation. And there's two particular women that she has uh, offered help with English to in this past year uh, who have been particularly striking uh, examples. Gemma, Ruth met the first Saturday of, two, of last year. It was about exactly a year ago. We'd gone out to hand out uh, calendars near our church building uh, with scripture texts on them. Uh, I didn't get a single person smile at me to take any. Uh, I got some doors fairly firmly closed in my face. But Ruth, one of the doors she called on was Gemma's. And Gemma immediately took it and says, well, that is really interesting. Uh, if it's got Bible verses on it, I do want it. I've always wanted to read the Bible. So Ruth went back a week later. She offered said, well, would you like a Bible? And she said yes. So a week later, Ruth took her a Bible. And uh, she began to read it and then emailed Ruth a few weeks later saying, I would need someone to explain this to me. Would you by any chance have time available to meet with me? Uh, and we could exchange English conversation for Catalan and you could help me understand this Bible. So that, it, for a number of reasons, didn't start to April. They began to meet regularly together uh, until work took Gemma abroad and she's just come back two weeks ago. Um, Ruth would really like to uh, pick that up again. 
In the meantime, whilst Gemma's been abroad, I think it was September, Lobna walked in through the door of our church building in our prayer meeting on a Tuesday evening and just announced to those there, she says, sorry, I just, you know, I'm just coming to get to know you. Uh, she's from Morocco. She said, she just said, this is what literally she said. She says, I'm no longer a Muslim. As I feel a real emptiness inside, and I would like help to read the Bible. Um, you don't get that happening very often. Uh, people from a Muslim background just walking in like that. Ruth began to meet up with her, also helped her a bit with English. There are a lot of complicated issues in Lobna's life. Um, so a few months later, Ruth was struggling to know how much time to invest with her with limited time, and now Gemma's back. There's a good prayer point for Ruth, wisdom to know how to allocate her time. I work primarily uh, online um, <clears throat> right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm teaching a course on apologetics. And it doesn't matter the fact that I'm in Northern Ireland this week. My students don't know that unless I tell them. Um, how does that work? Well, they need to find 12 hours a week to study one university-level five-credit course. Um, they will be asked to write short pieces and then they critique each other's in a space of a 48-hour window, and then the teacher, in this case me, comes along and reads all of that, grades it both for the original contribution and for the uh, critique they do uh, of each other's work, and so it rolls on through a university term. We're encouraged at how this is going. We, this term have 44 students online. It oscillates between 40 to 50. That is very comparable to any other seminary in Spain. I think it's bigger than any seminary's intake. Uh, so we're training people, and we're encouraged as well with uh, how that is uh, working in practice and the sort of people that we're getting to train. Here's some photographs taken when we bring the students together once a term. We break up into groups, and there's workshops, and we teach them, try and feed them well as well, as that's very important in Spanish culture. And then they go back to their little scattered churches. Um, and this is one of the big things that's different about Spain. Uh, church life is often small, isolated, uh, often with no church leadership, or if there is a church leader, one that has no training. Um, most of our churches in our federation don't have pastors. Um, only one in three have a full-time pastor, and most of them are missionaries. That's typical of other church groupings in Spain as well. So you have a lot of flocks without shepherds. And there's a general understaffing in all kinds of ministry in Spain, not just pastoral ministry. I particularly teach courses in preaching, so I travel to do that for intensive weekends. Um, I also teach in a residential seminary to the south of Barcelona uh, one day a week. And so there are lots of opportunities and thankfully, there's real interest in getting training, not just in this area. We have other teachers that do teaching and counseling or all different areas of Bible or theology. I particularly uh, focus in, in uh, training for preaching. Danny, who is one of my students right now, uh, is a good example of the sort of person that we're trying to train. As a young man, he was spotted by the mission that was planting a church down the coast from us about an hour and a quarter south of us, maybe an hour and a half, and they saw that he had the potential to be a future pastor possibly. So the mission found finance for a period of uh, uh, four years, during which he worked uh, half the time being trained to be a new pastor, 
and half the time he studies online. And then when that period finished, he's now been recognized as the new pastor of that church and is continuing to find time to, to uh, get further training. And we're delighted. That is a model we'd really like to replicate and see much more of. We're distinctive in the group of students that we have in that they are so heavily already involved in ministry. Uh, a lot of seminaries or Bible colleges are training people for future ministry. Uh, most of our students are already doing it. Uh, out of our 50 students in the autumn term, 11 were serving elders or pastors. 18 were uh, involved in the main rota of preaching in their church. You won't be able to see those numbers. I'm reading them off for you. Eight were deacons, so if you add that to the elders and pastors, that's just under half of our student bodies are serving deacons and elders or pastors, and so on. We have four serving missionaries in Peru who are studying with us. So they're very, very active already. The very last little column, the orange one at the end, uh, shows that in that term there were three students who we are no, unaware of any ministry they were involved in. But that doesn't mean they weren't active. It just meant that they hadn't told us uh, and in one case, it was a health reason. So it's a very active student body. And they have their church responsibilities, they have their family responsibilities, they have their jobs, and they're finding 12 hours a week to get training for ministry that they're already involved in. So all of that is a, is a picture that we're encouraged about. There's Danny, extreme left, getting his diploma equivalent to uh, one year's full-time study, and he's kept on adding on on top of that. This is the big one in Spain. Uh, churches in financial trouble. Uh, we have in our federation more and more churches defaulting on their offerings to the federation. Uh, just they can't, they can't do it. Churches that aren't supporting their own pastors. And so they struggle to see the need to invest in training others for the future. But that spells trouble uh, further ahead uh, for churches that don't have trained leadership. So we're excited about this. Uh, plan dual in Spanish, or the dual plan, uh, is a new attempt to crack that problem of helping small churches to find the resources to be able to train new pastors. The idea is uh, to replicate what happened with Danny on a two-year or four-year cycle, 50% of their time learning to do pastoral work in practice, and we're hoping another program would launch a year later in evangelism and mission, uh, and 50% of their time is studying online. Uh, Isaac is Pedro's son, uh, Pedro who was here last May, and they are training him to be the new pastor of the church where Pedro has been and is an ideal candidate for this kind of program. So we're encouraged about that, struggling to find the resources and finance uh, is the reality behind the scenes, but we're, we're going for it anyway. Ricard is person I work with most closely, sits next door office to me, uh, two of the days of the week and works from home. Uh, it was great to be able to employ him uh, two and a half years ago, and from then on he's, he's been running on. It is a continual battle and struggle to find the finance to employ him, but he's just, he's great, and uh, we have a great relationship. There was the team at our headquarters uh, in December, but it's, it's rather deceptive uh, Jeanette, uh, in the front, in front of me, is our quarter-time admissions coordinator and does a bit of everything. Ricard next to her is half-time. Then there are three people who voluntarily give a few hours a week. And then to the 
right is Katie Northey. Uh, she, for two years, two and a half years, was a cross-world North American missionary who was seconded to us and did our behind-the-scenes IT support for our Moodle platform for teaching. Her term of service finished in December, and we took the photograph to kind of wave her a goodbye, and she's left a huge gap behind her. Um, for three months, she's helping us from a distance in the USA. The next three months, we have someone else lined up who from a distance will be giving us that IT support. But from September, we are facing a very uncertain future as a school. The reality is, if I start to list the vacancies that we're carrying, there's IT support, Moodle and Access and all of that. I desperately need a PA. We need people to do resource creation of video and audio. We need people to do event management. We need office secretarial support. We could do with a couple running hospitality ministry. There's at least four full-time positions there. The, the elements could be played with. But we could, we could use four full-time people tomorrow. No problem. We don't have them. I don't know where they're coming from. I have no idea where finance could be found to support them. I don't, it's not realistic at all. I had to think Baptist Missions is going to be able to provide that. But could I ask you right now, as I continue to speak, would you pray? Because as I look around in Spain, I, I look at our local church and the three elders, we're all, I'm ashamed of the lack of pastoral support we're giving. And I think of the next church down the road, and the leadership there is overstretched. And I think of our co-workers, the Elliots, in, down in the south. They are being hammered by Satan. He is having a real go at them. And I think of other churches, and I think of other ministries, and it's a general pattern in Spain. We are all overstretched. And I feel a bit like Nehemiah on the wall. <laughs> I kind of think if there was a real serious attack from the enemy in our sector of the wall, we don't have the resources to fight off the attack. And then I look at the next stretch, and they're the same. And so I think we'll have the trumpet policy. You know, if you're in real trouble, blow the trumpet, and we'll try and come to your help. And if we're in trouble, please come and help us. But we, Ruth is overstretched as well. Um, but would you just, as we continue in this meeting, would you just pray, Christ said... Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers. And would you just do that with me this evening? If there's one thing I could leave with you today, please pray for people. We need people uh, in our own ministry, and it's a pattern that's replicated. There's so many good things going on. Um, You've been following with us uh, this process, this interdenominational project that I give one day a week to. And uh, there's a photograph taken at the fourth in a series of national preachers' conferences we've been running. Uh, this was uh, born out of a partnership with Langham Preaching, started by John Stott. The people that came to the conference went back to their hometowns, got other preachers around them. So those two men were at the conference. They get others around them. They study God's Word. They start what we call preacher's circles. And there's what's been happening since 2013. 25 different circles in different parts of Spain. A ripple effect across different denominations. And we're now birthing a whole new phase. Uh, in a few weeks' time, there's a wave of regional retreats beginning. And uh, I have to say, this is, I find this very exciting. Uh, in the month of February, five different retreats will begin a three-year cycle. 
Uh, I'm not involved in all of that, of course. I, I, I'm, I'll be at two of them. Uh, and then through the rest of the year and into the beginning of next year, uh, those different regions of Spain will start this simple training of trainers of preachers. And this has great potential uh, to stimulate and hopefully improve the level of preaching in Spain. I'm uh, very excited. We've just published our first book uh, called The Art of Preaching. Uh, that is just literally hot off the press. I got it the day before I left and uh, I'm so encouraged ab about it. I wrote one chapter, but only one. Uh, and there's 12 others, I think. Um, so we're excited that there are, there are some good things happening. There's our congregation in our local church on a weekend in November. It gives you a feeling of how many of us there are. Uh, I've already said the eldership is, is overstretched. We have 100 members. We don't have a pastor. Uh, struggling to find a pastor for the church. Ruth leads a program on Tuesday evenings called Casal Kids, uh, offering homework help for children from the neighborhood, which, as you can see, are mainly from Morocco or from Africa. They're mainly Muslim children uh, who need help with Spanish and Catalan homeworks. They're lovely children. You can see some of their faces here. They enjoy this program and it is a striking opportunity. Muslim parents allowing their children to do all these things and to be taught the gospel every other week. And they know it, and that's up front. Uh, we don't know how long that window will be open for. But on the back of that, uh, your team that you sent out came out and not only had lots of good meals, uh, as in <laughs> this photograph, uh, they helped us run a great program. Uh, the church had just bought the next door house. It's funny, this, the parallels. We don't fit in our building. You don't fit in your building. Uh, you bought a new property. We bought a new property. But we're somewhat behind you. All we've managed to do so far is knock it down. Uh, so that big hole was a house. Uh, and we got it knocked down just in time for it to turn into a playground for children. And so the team uh, helped run games. And we got all the children in. There were about 50 mainly Muslim children uh, every day. Uh, it was a hectic, mad uh, few days, but great. Uh, there's the Windsor team uh, singing the theme song in four languages. Uh, there was uh, English and Spanish and Catalan and even uh, a few words in Arabic that we got someone to teach us. So there was lots of fun. Uh, broke up into small groups for Bible lessons and uh, practical uh, worksheets and all kinds of stuff. Popcorn machine. Uh, I was just reminded about that uh, before the service began. Uh, what a great opportunity this was. And uh, you can just see in the children's faces, just look at their smiles, how much they enjoyed it. And the gospel was clearly um, shared. Uh, I heard, heard Create being advertised uh, for this week. Uh, so Nick ran a similar kind of event in our own home. And uh, the woman really enjoyed it. It was run twice, once in our home, once in the church. This is in our home. And the significance here is from the right, that's Heike, uh, Naomi, uh, Ruth's uh, friend from the basketball. And next to her is Gemma. Uh, so that was a great opportunity for different women that know Ruth to meet each other. And to, they enjoyed it. They, they would like to do it again. So uh, is the team coming back? We hope so. Uh, we hope some of you who were there last year coming back and some of you who weren't there last year would come. And it doesn't have to be to do exactly the same things, but those were good. I've, I've copied this from a PowerPoint produced by a man in our church, and I just copied his slide 
to show you how he felt about it. Uh, I don't know if you read Spanish, but that says the team. Now, the significance of that is in the blue shirts, there's Spaniards and Irish all together. Uh, and a very visible demonstration of a sense of doing something together as a team. Uh, so, thank you for sending out that team. It was a real shot in the arm. And I think people in the church got a sense of, wow. Uh, well, one of my fellow elders, he actually summarized it this way, which sounds a bit paradoxical. He says, it took the Irish team to come to show us that we don't need an Irish team. Uh, uh, you understand what he was meaning. We, you know, we get all these hang-ups about, you know, how, how are we going to reach the local community and how are we going to, whatever. But having a team come from outside stimulates us and just gives us a bit of confidence to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. So we would love to have a team back again. Off the back of Casal Kids, there were other good things happened <laughs> simultaneously with the team. Uh, the girl second from the right is Aya, Moroccan girl, and with scholarships, with offerings that were sent from Ireland, uh, we offered the chance for children to go to camp. And it was a clearly evangelistic camp. And yet two families, they sent two children. There's one of them. Uh, fantastic. She's got in her memory a week spent in Christian fellowship hearing the gospel. And we pray God would water that seed. Two of our boys' friends went as well. They're in that photograph. Heike's son is in the front foreground and another boy as well. And they had a great time and heard the gospel preached. So we're praying for seed uh, to flower into full life. We do so value your prayers for us as a family and for our own children too. Uh, Naomi in a very un-Spanish Giants Causeway photograph. Um, she has just applied through the UCAS system and next week we'll be applying through the CAO system to uh, universities in the south and then we'll be applying to universities in Spain really doesn't know yet, and so we value your prayers for her future. She's researching options for a, a gap year next year somewhere in mission too. Uh, so we value your prayers for her future short and long term. And I've just put Matthew's photograph up as well. Uh, if you get our prayer letter, you'll know that he is due to have surgery sometime later this year uh, on his rib cage. And so when we get closer to that time, we'll really value your prayers for, for him. So there's uh, also a photograph of the car. <laughs> Thank you uh, for your, your help with that. And we finally managed to uh, sort that out shortly before I came away. And a summary of those things that I've mentioned. Above everything else, please pray for people. Uh, we need people um, to help in different areas of ministry. And there's those other things, Ruth's friends, pastors for churches, that we'd be effective in our ministry, for the family, especially when I travel, uh, church life, Naomi's future, Matthew, and the summer team. So we do so much value your support. Uh, you're, you're, we're spoiled. When we talk to some other missionaries and, and what their situation is, uh, we are so grateful to God for a church that takes such an active and uh, loving interest in us. Let's just... Take a few minutes to anchor that in Luke 22. Um, if you don't already get inundated with news about us, uh, Windsor is very good at uh, sending out uh, updates in different ways. But if you would like to get our prayer letter directly, you can uh, sign up for that afterwards at the back table or sign up for the weekly email from Baptist Missions. We contribute to that every other week. And there's just a few sentences uh, right up to date about us. And so there's opportunities to sign up for that at the end. 
And uh, that funny-looking box in Mervyn's hand, um, I'm sure that's also welcome if you are considering uh, an offering too. Luke 22, let's read from verse 24, and it leads straight on from the Lord's table because the context for this is the last meal. Jesus is basically saying goodbye. And what are the disciples thinking about? Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as sweet. And note, if you've got a footnote in your Bible, that's you plural. Satan's coming to attack you all. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Fascinating the insight there. God's purpose for Christian ministry, God using one person to strengthen others. But Simon replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It's written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. Oh, that's enough, he replied. I just want to leave with you two encouragements from this passage very briefly this evening. Whatever your ministry is, whatever your service is, whatever the calling on your life is, in this passage is a beautiful picture of the beauty of Christian service. Because being great in God's kingdom is not measured by how many people you can give orders to. It's not measured by how much authority you can exercise, in verse 25. Nor is it measured by what people think of you and what image they have of you and what reputation you have. It's measured by the greatness of your willingness to put other people first. Jesus asks that striking question in verse 27. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? The one who's getting the meal brought to him or the one who's running back and forth to the kitchen to bring the food out? And it doesn't matter what culture we're from. It doesn't matter what period of history we live in. In this world, the answer to that question has to be the more important person is the one sitting at the table, not the one who's running back and forth to serve them. And Jesus insists that in the kingdom of God, 
The more important person is the one who's running back and forth to the kitchen and bringing the food out to serve the other person. I heard a beautiful illustration of this pattern of greatness earlier in this year. No, not this year anymore, last year, uh, at a conference I was at. A student in London who needed to earn a little bit of money to uh, pay for his studies, was looking for a Saturday job, and a church with extensive premises needed someone to clean, so they took him on to work one day a week. And so he began the first Saturday and worked there and cleaned. And the second Saturday, halfway through the morning, as he was working there, an elderly gentleman appeared. Oh, who are you? Oh, I'm here working. Oh, right, and this man was from the church in question. And he says, oh, I don't have anything to do this morning, so why don't I just stay and give you a hand? And so he just stayed there the rest of the morning helping to clean. Fair enough. Uh, next week, next Saturday, when the young student was back there again, the man was there at the door at the time that he went to work. And uh, he says, well, I don't really have anything this Saturday either, so I just thought I'd come and help you. And so he came and helped him again. The fourth Saturday, the man said to him, do you know what? Uh, leave me the toilets. You mop and dust and do all the rest of it. Let me take care of the, the bathrooms and the toilets. So, well, the student probably was quite relieved and happy to, for that uh, division of work. Uh, and that became the pattern. And week after week went past until one day, over dinner, the student told his father uh, what was going on. He only knew the man by his first name. And the father asked a few more questions and then said to him, do you realize who it is that's coming to help you clean the church? And it turned out the man, before he retired, was in charge of the security at Buckingham Palace. After a lifetime of public service, he was personally responsible for the security of the queen. And now he was retired. And here he was on Saturday mornings on his knees cleaning toilet bowls so that the young man didn't have to do it. And uh, I, I find, you know what I find lovely about this? I don't know the man's name. He doesn't know that one to another, we've told this, and here I am, I'm telling you about this today, and yet the beauty of it runs on, doesn't it? There's a beauty in that kind of attitude that we don't find in the world. There is a beauty in Christian service. Um, and this is what Jesus is wanting from us. His purpose in service is that we might strengthen others. We already saw that as I just read the passage uh, Satan is coming to attack all the disciples. Jesus prays for Peter that he would strengthen others. Does that mean that Jesus has picked Peter because he's the strongest, the most able to bless others? Uh, Peter is very quick to uh, show us that he has great self-confidence. We sometimes look at other people and say, well, you, you know, they, they really are great. Not just uh, do they have authority and other people look up to them, but they have such tremendous self-confidence. Peter had it. I'm prepared to go to prison. I'm prepared to give my life. And he was about to be found wanting. And sooner or later in life, there will come a test or a temptation where we will be found wanting. And what was it that brought Peter through? Uh, this is the second and last lesson I'm leaving with you this evening. It's the resources for Christian service. What brought Peter through? Only one thing. There was someone who prayed for him. This is so encouraging. The Lord Jesus Christ says to Peter, I have prayed 
for you. I don't know about you, but I find past tense prayers most encouraging. Future tense trips off my lips. I will pray for you. you know, that's kind of, I find that rather easy to say and not quite so easy to live up to. 